0: jcasnetwork.org
1: Hello, welcome to Daily Daf Differently. My name is Martin Cohen, and today we're going to study material on page 64 in Tractate Pesachim. The material that I want to go over with you comes from the Mishnah. Most of the Mishnah contains laws, discussions about halacha. here and there some midrash, sometimes a legend. But there are also places in the Mishnah where the text presents a tableau of Jewish life from antiquity that is so interesting and so stirring that modern readers and students of Mishnah would do well to pause for a moment and to try to develop a mental picture of the the image that is being drawn for them. And a good example of just how that works is in this Mishnah, which I'd like to go over with you. It is about the way that the Pesach offering was sacrificed in antiquity. This was a very big deal. In his book, The Jewish War, Josephus notes that in the year 65, during the reign of the Emperor Nero, he says there were 256,500 Pesach offerings offered on of Pesach. He further estimates that the number of people who were present in Jerusalem to eat the meat of those sacrifices was more than 2,700,000. Most modern scholars think those numbers are a bit exaggerated. But even if they are exaggerated, the concept is that this was a moment of mass coming together for the Jewish people, something that almost never happened except in the context of Pesach observance. And therefore, it is something for moderns to think about when they imagine what it must have been like to be a Jew in antiquity, living in the shadow of the Beit HaMikdash in Yerushalayim. The Mishnah begins as follows. Ha-Pesach neshkat b'shalosh kitot, the Passover Offering was slaughtered in three different groups. And there's a bit of support for that practice in the Torah, where the text says, Vishachatu'o Kol Kahal Adat Yisrael, the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall slaughter it. And the Baal Mishnah noted that the three terms, Kahal meaning assembly, Eda meaning congregation, and Yisrael together suggest three different groups. And that is exactly how things were in the Old Temple. The way it worked was this. Nitmalaha Azara, Naalu Azara Taku The first group would enter into the courtyard until it was completely packed. Then they would lock the doors, and they would sound tikiah, turua, and tikiah on the shofar. The Kohanim, the Kohanim would stand in neat rows before them kesef, zahav. In their hands were were silver bowls and bowls made out of gold. Shurashakulo kesef kesef, zahav zahav. One row was completely silver bowls; the next row was completely golden bowls. Lo or and they didn't mix them up, mostly for aesthetic purposes, I think, because it was more stunningly beautiful to see them lined up in order, each kohen holding a similar bowl. And these were unusual bowls in another way as well. They didn't have bases at the bottom. Therefore you couldn't set them down on the ground because they would tilt. And that was for a purpose. hadam For fear that a Kohen would set the bowl down on the ground, whereupon the blood would congeal, and then it would be impossible to, to pitch it at the base of the altar which was the sacrificial act that rendered the flesh of the Pesach edible by those who were sponsoring it. The Mishnah continues, "Shachat Yisrael v'ki uh, Even a non-kohen was permitted to slaughter the animal because the type of sacrificial service that could only be done by a, an official kohen, an official priest, began after the animal was slaughtered. But as soon as the animal was slaughtered, the kohen would receive its blood in one of the bowls, no whereupon one Kohen would hand it to the next, and the next to the next. And the bowls would go back and forth, the full bowls of blood traveling to the altar, and the empty ones being passed back along the same line. And finally, the Kohen nearest the altar, he would pitch the entire contents of each bowl at the base of the altar, as specified in the Torah. Yatsta Kat Rishonav and Sakashniya. The first group would leave, the second group would come in. Yatshniya Nichnasashlishit, the second would leave, and the third would come in. Kemasa Rishona Kahmasnia Vhashlishit, the procedure was exactly the same for each of these groups, not only the first, but also the second and the third. Karua tahalel. They then would read Halel, although it doesn't make it clear in the Mishnah who reads the Halel. Is it the Levites who would normally have done that? Or on this special occasion was it the individuals who were offering the sacrifices themselves who sang Halel? That much is not made clear in the Mishnah, but we do go on to say this Im Gamru Shanu, if they finished Halel, they just said it again. Vim Shanu Shil Shu, and if they finished it a second time, they said it a third time. Afa Pisha shilshu Shu Mehem, but this actually never happened. Rabbi Judah said, "Mi mayhem shel sheet lohi giyula ki yishma." Rabbi Judah said that the third group never got as far in hallel as the phrase yishma. I love for Hashem hears me because uh, the anxious people always pushed their way into the first groups and by the time they got to the third one, uh, there were so few people that it was never necessary to recite hallel more than more than once or twice. And then the Mishnah goes on and discusses how this procedure was different on Shabbat. The picture that the Mishnah is drawing is splendid. Perhaps most of my listeners have been to Jerusalem and can imagine the Temple Mount, but with a little extra effort you can imagine it not with the great Mosque of Omar sitting atop it, or the Dome of the Rock, but rather with the Beit HaMikdash, built by first by Solomon and then destroyed and then rebuilt in the days that when the Jewish people returned to Zion from exile and then refurbished by Herod in his day and finally in the uh, towards the end of the second temple period the years precisely that Josephus was writing about in his book this picture emerges of hundreds of thousands of Jewish people descending on Jerusalem from every corner of the holy land forming groups of several five ten perhaps even more to dine on the flesh of the Zevach Pesach Erev Pesach because that in fact is the great mitzvah of the Passover to consume the flesh of the Pesach offering on Erev Pesach as a way of demonstrating our faith in the source of liberation in God that the Torah preaches to us and also in the historicity of the story of the exodus from Egypt that features the first references to the Zevach Pesach. Imagine the blue sky the jerusalem stone walls imagine the blood pitched at the base of the of the bronze altar bright red and the altar shining in the sunlight and think of the unity of the jewish people that was expressed by this great unimaginable effort to do something together for the glory of god and then modern listeners will do well to consider this image in light of our own lives and wonder what happened to that sense of claudis israel of concerted effort together Jewish people working regardless of their specific roles in life, their specific orientation, their specific affiliation, the the way in which they relate to other Jewish people or to the Jewish people as a whole. Putting all of that aside for the sake of worshiping God together in the ways ordained by Torah and sanctified by tradition. That would be the great lesson inherent in the beginning of this Mishnah on page 65 in tract Tra- 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 Pesachim and it would provide, therefore, a fabulous opportunity for all of us to think carefully about what we do to further the unity of the Jewish people, not only on Erev Pesach, but every day of
0: our Jewish lives. Thank you, and goodbye. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daft Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros, from the Epic Horus album One Bead. Available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.